This is the second of two podcasts examining space and time in cinema. Space and time are two of cinema's three constant elements. The third is light, and since cinema needs light to articulate space, and since time is measured by light, you can't make a film without any of them. This podcast will look at time. Time in cinema is articulated in two ways. The real-time performance in front of the camera, the 20 seconds or so it takes an actor to deliver a speech. Then there is film time, which is articulated by editing. Film time can be extended, truncated, quickened, slowed and repeated. In the previous podcast, I spoke about how space is not so much articulated as manipulated. The same goes for time. Film manipulates time in order to articulate it. And extending, truncating, quickening or slowing tells a story and affects the audience in different ways. When The Bourne Ultimatum won the Oscar for Best Editing in 2007, it became the film with the most rapid cutting ever to receive the award in the history of the Academy. Its average shot length was 2.1 seconds. By contrast, the winner of the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival that same year, Christian Mungiu's Four Months, Three Weeks and Two Days, had an average shot length of 90 seconds. While The Bourne Ultimatum is an intense and relentlessly paced action picture, Four Months, Three Weeks and Two Days is an intense and deliberately paced drama, which might suggest that films with rapid cutting rates are fast-paced, while films with deliberate pacing have slower cutting rates. A look at Alfonso Cuaron's gravity will tell you otherwise. Time can be articulated and manipulated without recourse to editing. Ordinarily, we assume that an event that plays without cuts is playing out in real time. For instance, in Joe Wright's adaptation of Ian McEwan's novel Atonement, Robbie Turner hurries about the beach at Dunkirk, looking for a way to get home to his love, Cecilia Tallis. Just arrived, sir. Can you tell us what we're supposed to be doing? Nothing, just wait. Where are the ships? Fumier than yesterday, Luftwaffe blew them to buggery. Lost 3,000 men when they sank Lancaster. High command in his infinite wisdom is denying us air cover. Disgrace. Fucking disaster. No, look, the thing is, you see, I'm, I'm, I'm expected back, you see. There's over 300,000 men on this beach, private. You have to wait your turn. Must be grateful you're not wounded. I'd order to leave the wounded behind. No, 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 leave it, Gav. Never trust a sailor on dry land. You're best all part of it. The decision to shoot the action in one continuous shot may have been logistical, but the effect it had on us, the audience, is that we experience the event at the same time and rate that Turner does. So, as director of photography Seamus McGarvey and Steadicam operator Peter Robertson move along the beach, our emotions become synchronised with Turner's. In other words, as the events unfold and time marches on, it becomes clear that whether edited or continuous, film time is emotional time. However, that does not mean that real time 
cannot bend before our eyes. Consider Olivier de Anne's La Vie en Rose, in which Marion Cotillard won an Oscar for her portrayal of Edith Piaf. About an hour and 40 minutes into the biopic, de Anne treats us to a four-minute take in which Piaf is woken by her lover and world middleweight boxing champion, Marcel Sedan. Piaf is delighted that he's returned safely from New York, where he had been defending his title against the raging bull, Jake LaMotta. Piaf gets up and goes to the kitchen, where she plans to make some breakfast. Director of photography Tetsuo Nagata and Steadicam operator Roberta De Angelis follow her as she moves through her apartment into the kitchen, where she collects a breakfast tray before returning to Marcel in her bedroom. No sooner has she put down the tray, she announces she has a gift for her champion and heads off to retrieve it, but she cannot find it. At which point she returns to the bedroom to find Marcel is gone. Confused, she goes looking for him and is quickly unsettled by the solemn mood of the people who are suddenly now in her apartment. You must be brave, Louis says. C'est Marcel? Quoi? L'avion s'est écrasé. The plane has crashed. It is at this point that we understand that the presence of Marcel was not real. Time folded over before our very eyes and we did not notice it. Marcel! Marcel! But sometimes, film time, that unfolds in real time, can be something other than emotional time. It can be cerebral, theoretical, and philosophical. Alexander Sokharov's Russian Ark takes place in the Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg. But ask a viewer when it takes place, and they might well be flummoxed. Sokharov's film lasts 96 minutes, and was shot in an uninterrupted and breathtaking single steadicam shot. Over the course of an hour and a half, a guide leads us through the enormous palace, introducing us to and interacting with an array of people, some of whom are historical figures and others fictional. But whether they are historical or not, one thing is certain. They are not all from the same era. A quick look at the costumes indicates that these people cover some 300 years of Russia's past. And through keeping the camera constantly moving through the hermitage, Sukharov brings us deep into the experience of time. Past and present, real or imagined, it is all happening for us as we watch now. And then Sukharov ends it all by wrapping time into one mesmerizing fusion of past, present and future. He has all the characters walk down the great steps of the palace and as they walk away from us we realize the culture we have been watching for the last 90 minutes was, no, will be swept away by the Bolshevik Revolution in 1917. Future time lost never to be regained.
Of course, cinema has many celebrated examples of manipulating time in other ways. For instance, Stanley Kubrick abbreviated hundreds of thousands of years down to 1 24th of a second when he cut from a bone falling in the air to a ship floating in space. Another great example is David Lean cutting from T.E. Lawrence blowing out a match to the rising sun over the Arabian desert. No, Dryden. It's going to be fun. It is recognised that you have a funny sense of fun. <sighs> Elsewhere, we have a man and a woman clinging onto the edge of Mount Rushmore. And then Alfred Hitchcock cuts to them canoodling intimately in a train compartment as it hurtles into a tunnel. These examples let us know that editing allows the filmmaker to cut out all the extraneous detail they don't need in telling their story. However, what seems extraneous in one story is crucial in another. Take the biopic genre. Typically, it truncates a life down to two hours. But Richard Linklater's Oscar-winning boyhood shatters any notion of time any film had previously held. Charting the life of Mason Jr., Boyhood, on the surface at least, reads like several other biopics, Gandhi, Amadeus, Bird and Malcolm X. But what sets Boyhood very far apart from these is its form. While those titles are studies of pivotal historical figures, Boyhood is about an ordinary suburban boy who matures from 5 to 18 years of age. Depending on the scale of the production, a movie usually takes between 6 and 12 weeks to shoot. Boyhood was shot in fortnightly bursts over 12 years, gradually chronicling the growth of Mason Jr. from child to young adult. Which means Mason ages 12 years in two and a half hours. Seeing the child mature so rapidly and seeing the parents slip so easily into middle age is a disorientating experience. Moreover, subtle, almost imperceptible alterations take place within the environment. Automobiles, technology and fashion change as the years roll by. Ordinarily, such details would date the film and those objects would be considered artefacts. As Linklater himself said, Boyhood is a period film in the present tense. Stanley Kubrick had explored this very idea when he was planning an adaptation of Brian Aldous's Super Toys last all summer long. Kubrick's aim was to film a story using the same child actor over several years, before abandoning the idea as impractical. Years later, Steven Spielberg filmed it as AI artificial intelligence. So that's what cinema is, the articulation and manipulation of space and time through composition and editing. <laughs>